Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Lent is really a time of reflecting on Christ's victory over sin, over death, over darkness. And it's a time of, of great rejoicing, but also a time of great evaluation. It's a time where we examine our hearts and our minds, uh, ask the Lord to say, man, is there anything on the inside of me that is sin that I need to deal with, that's hindering me uh, in my walk with you or my relationship with others? Uh, Lent has been a time of fasting and prayer, a season where we empty ourselves that we might be filled with all that God has for us. And so today I want to put a little twist on it. And uh, I want to speak to you from this idea or this subject of emptying ourselves, not so we would be filled, but rather so others would be filled. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, as we open up your word today, God, that you would speak so clearly to us. God, we're grateful to be in your house today. Um, I thank you that you said that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that as we gather together, it's such a joy to be in your presence uh, corporately. And as we open up your word, I pray that you'd speak to us. God, your word is alive, it's active, it's powerful. You're able to speak to us in every uh, season, uh, very specifically. And you know what's happening and what's going on in our hearts and our lives. So we want to encounter you today, Jesus, in a real way. So we just open up our hands and our heart to receive all that you have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I, I want to tell you uh, about a story of Nancy and Catherine. Now, Nancy had urged Catherine to turn back, but Catherine refused to turn back as she was hiking on the Pacific Crest Trail and only had 150 miles to go to finish her journey. Catherine was really confused and a little bit perplexed because it was late in the season and so she was afraid that it was, it was going to snow and Catherine wasn't prepared. She didn't have snow gear. She didn't have snow shoes. She wasn't prepared for that kind of a season. And so she urged her and begged her to turn away and to come back, but Catherine refused and she continued on her hike. Now Nancy could not get Catherine off of her mind. The thought of this girl being on the trail by herself in potential harm's way just tormented her, especially as she saw the forecast when she got home that two feet of snow was expected in a day or so. So when she heard that, she ran to the sheriff's department and she explained the whole story. And sure enough, it started to snow and Catherine found herself in a very tight spot. She had frostbite, she was disoriented, she had hypothermia. She was struggling to navigate and find her way. She was looking at all of the evergreens around her that started to sneak, uh, that started to, to sink in the snow. In fact, she was so desperate, she started to text her friends and family, write messages on her phone because she had no reception. And she started to write things like, man, I'm so sorry that I'm going to die on this trail. Long story short, they launched a rescue team the next day uh, as a result of, of Nancy's cry. And they found her. They said if Catherine would have stayed out on this trail one more day, she would have died. Later, she talked to reporters and she said, listen, the, the reason why I was on the trail by myself is because I lost my faith in humanity. And so I figured I would just go alone. But how many of you guys know, thank God for Nancy's. Thank God for Nancy's that restored that confidence a hundredfold in Catherine's life. 
You know, I, I was musing on this and I thought, how, how many Catherines are out there today? There are so many Catherines that are, are, are navigating through wildernesses, that are trying to, to figure life out, that have lost hope and faith in humanity and, and more so faith in God. And they're trying to navigate through life alone. They're trying to figure it out by themselves. I, I mean, we see these people all the time. They're, they're uh, in our communities. They're at our jobs. They're in our classrooms. Uh, many of them are even in our homes. Some are in our church. People just trying to figure it out. Navigating through seasons that they're not equipped for. Navigating through storms that they're just not ready for. And when they hit, they're just unprepared in their soul. And they're trying to figure out life. And they're... Reaching for this and reaching for that. And there's a lot of desperation. Come on, I, I think if we're honest, we can all agree that we've been in moments where it feels like Catherine, where we're just trying to, to figure it out. And in those moments, as we're wandering through wildernesses, some of us wandering through wildernesses of sickness, of hardship, of pain, of sin, just trying to figure it all out. It can be really frustrating, and in those moments, our heart, whether we know it or not, is crying out for a Nancy. Someone that would just, just go the distance, somebody that would be thinking about us, somebody that would care for us. And, and you think about people like Nancy. Like, who does that? I, who, who thinks about people? Because before they had this encounter, they were just hikers on a trail. They were strangers. So who, who actually thinks about somebody else after this stubborn hiker refuses to take advice, so many is just, all right, well, do your thing. Good luck. But it said that she could not get her off of her mind, the fact that she's by herself on the trail. Who does that? I think, I think people like Nancy are people that understand the, the seasons and the times that we're living in. They understand what's happening in the world. They have a pulse on the state and the condition of this time and space that you and I, that God has placed us in right now. I mean, as you turn on the news, you can see just how crazy it is and how dysfunctional things are. And there's so many things going wrong. There's so many lonely people on a trail looking for life, looking for hope. Like We get this. People like Nancy are, are ones that, man, they just can't l turn the other cheek. They just can't turn away. They, they're ones that, that, that feel the sense of, man, you're valuable, that, listen, God loves you. That, that God cares about you and that you're worth a pursuit. That you're worth a pursuit. Come on, how many of you guys are thankful for Nancy's in our life? I think all of us who are in this building today had some sort of a Nancy that God sent our way when we were on a trail trying to find it. I mean, that, that's, that, that's so incredible. People like Nancy, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. People like Nancy, they empty themselves that others might be filled. And this is just not really exciting. It's one thing to empty yourself that we might be filled. But it's another thing to empty ourselves that others might be filled. And I think that really drops us right into the heart of Palm Sunday. It drops us right into the heart of, of what we celebrate on this day. Jesus' triumphal entry. Fulfilling the prophecy from the prophet Zechariah that the shepherd king would come humbly riding on a donkey, descending down the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem a week before he would be crucified. It, it was amazing because this is where we get Palm Sunday. As Jesus was descending down the Mount of Olives, 
The people were excited. They recognized him as a king, and they thought in their minds, man, this guy's going to overthrow Rome. He's the answer to all of our political issues and all of the challenges that we're facing. And so they were pumped, and they grabbed palm trees as it was custom when kings would come and make their entrance. And they started to wave the palm trees. They would throw their coats on the ground, make way for the king as they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they were so pumped because this was the triumphal entry. And they were praising him. They were yelling Hosanna because they thought he was, this is it. He's going to overthrow Rome. We're going to have victory. We're going to be good. And then their cries turned from Hosanna to crucify him. See, they didn't know that the triumphal entry would lead in a triumphal empty. Where Christ would empty himself out, suffer a death on a cross, so that you and I and others might be filled. They were like, you're not going to overthrow Rome. Like, what possibly good could come from emptying yourself? What possibly good can a king who's going to do that? You're not a king. They said, forget you, crucify him. And it's amazing sometimes how quickly we turn our back on God when he doesn't meet our expectations. Not knowing that. And forgetting that he sees a whole different picture than we do. See, Jesus had his heart and his mind set on eternity. His heart was set and bent on the Father's purpose and people were his passion. Even the very people that are yelling crucify him, he, they had no idea that he's getting ready to empty himself that they might be filled. There was something that was so much bigger than Rome. There's this thing called sin, this thing called death that he was about to crush, but people just couldn't see it. They were so focused on the present, they lost sight of what was eternal. And they couldn't see it in the moment. They missed it. And I don't want us as a church to miss that, rea that reality. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. You see, when we're living with an eternal perspective, God will be your purpose and people will be your pursuit. All of a sudden, it just puts things in proper perspective when we live in light of eternity. But because of all of our, you know, if we're just honest, all of our selfishness and our busyness and everything that we got going in this life, which is awesome and we should be grateful for. Because of all the stuff, it's easy sometimes to get so focused on the present that we lose sight of eternity. And it becomes about our purpose and people become a burden rather than God's purpose and people are pursued. And as I, as I muse on this, just for a moment, I, I, I can't help but to think of Jesus in Luke chapter 10 where he said, man, the harvest is ripe, but the labors are few. Jesus was saying, there's a lot of Catherines, y'all, but there's not a whole lot of Nancys. Like there's a lot of Catherines that are on the trail, wandering by themselves, trying to figure out life, not equipped, not prepared. But there's not a whole lot of Nancys. Why? Because it's so easy to lose our eternal perspective. It's so easy to get caught up in our own little world where, again, as much as we love God, he's really not our purpose and people are really not our pursuit. You know, I, I know that two things are going to be in heaven. Two things. People and the Lord. And that's where we need to invest our life. I, I went to an estate sale the other day. Anybody drive past estate sales? They're like, oh, I got to check it out, right? I actually saw somebody from our church there, right? I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, checking it out, man, discount, right? <laughs> and we had a moment, we were in the garage and we were rummaging through all of somebody's things and he looked at me and he says, man, I guess this is it, huh? This is what happens. You don't get to take any of this stuff with you. 
and just rummage all of it off for pennies. So grateful we have an eternal perspective. So grateful that God has rescued us. So grateful that for us, that's not the end. So grateful for that. But, but here's the deal. If, if you and I are going to live a life where we empty ourselves that others might be filled, I, I think there's a couple things that we have to put in proper perspective because that's not natural. Uh, it's not even natural to empty yourself that you might be filled, let alone empty yourself that others might be filled. And when I say empty yourself, I'm talking about those words that we don't like to use, sacrifice and, you know, time, effort, energy, right? I'm talking about those things. And there's, there's a few things that I think we need to, to look at. And first, what motivates somebody to live like that? Like what actually is the motivation? I think Paul nails it in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, like, like, like putting on a brand new lens in view of God's mercy. Now, this may seem like a generic word to you, but it means something really deep and really profound. Let me show you what it means in the Greek. It means this. It means deep feelings that God has for all of us and powerfully shows and shares in those following him. So Paul is saying, listen, in light of God's deep feelings of compassion that he has for all of us and powerfully shows and shares in those who follow him by way of the cross, <coughs> by giving everything up that we might be filled, Paul said, in light of that, look what he goes on to say. He says, in light of that, <coughs> excuse me, he says, Present your bodies or offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your reasonable act of worship. So in light of God's compassion, in view of his mercy, and in light of God's deep affection and compassion towards you and I, that he has shown us so graciously on the cross and in a plethora of other ways. Come on, anybody ever experienced the mercy of God, the compassion of God? How about when you didn't deserve it? Got one person clapping. Well, hey, somebody's grateful. At least one person is grateful. But he says, in light of that motivation, you got to make a decision to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. But he says, let me, let me just tell you something. It's very reasonable to make that decision in light of his mercy. It's, let me say it this way. It's only reasonable in light of his mercy. See, this word reasonable, it, it, it also comes from, has the same notion as logic. Meaning it's the logical conclusion in light of all that God has done for you. If you were trying to make a logical decision, a rational decision, the only conclusion that you would give is to offer yourself to him as a living sacrifice. Paul said it's very reasonable. <laughs> the problem is, is a lot of times we try to do this, we try to empty ourselves for others not in light of his mercy, but just by offering our bodies, and it feels more like a burden than a privilege. It feels more like, oh, man, all right, sacrifice, here we go. <laughs> Give my body to God. Give my life to God. What, what Paul is saying, listen, it's very reasonable to give yourselves to God, that God's purpose would prevail inside of you, and God's purpose would move out through you. It's very reasonable in light of his mercy, but you can't lose sight of that because that's the motivation. Like when I look at all that God has done for me, when I look at the cross, it's like, of course, whatever you want. 
course. In light of eternity, none of this stuff matters. Let's go. It's reasonable. So Paul is dealing with two things, motivation and decision. Motivation and choice. Paul said, make sure you get the motivation right, because that's going to be your fuel. But you're also going to have to make a decision. That if we're going to be people that empty ourselves, that others might be filled, we have to make some decisions to offer our bodies. And I, I want to present two choices to you today that I believe that God is calling us to make as a church. And the first one is this. We need to choose obedience over outcome. Obedience over outcome. Second Kings chapter 5. There was a man by the name of Nahum. He was a very popular man. This guy was a, a valiant soldier. He was super high-ranking, had access to the king, was well-respected, really well-known. And it says this, at this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid or as a servant. If only my master would see, somebody say see. If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, speaking of the prophet Elisha, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, this is a little bit perplexing. A lot of times when this story is preached, Naaman gets all the glory. And this little servant girl is left out. She's kind of a passing thought in the text. But I think, really, she's a critical part of the story. That God still uses, as we said last week, finite things. God still uses brittle and fragile things to do extraordinary things. And, and this, this little servant girl, I mean, think about her heart for a moment. She has been taken captive. In a, she's in a foreign land. She's in a foreign home. She's watched all the brutality that's been done as a result of this guy's hand. And this guy's leading. And she's now in a home as a servant not only as a servant, but in a house of a man who has leprosy. Like, that's like a double, double whammy. Like, okay, I'm in a dysfunctional house, get it. But and he's got leprosy. That's a contagious flesh-eating disease. That's not exciting. It's like you're walking around like, don't touch me. You know what I mean? Can I get your food? There you go. Like that, that's just not an easy life. But we see in all of her turmoil... Her heart never gets hard. You still see her heart for God and her heart for people. You still see her faith in the ability of God's power. Even when her circumstance is broken and messed up. She doesn't charge God with that. In fact, her heart is so moved. She said, man, if only, if only he could go to see the prophet who's in Samaria. Man. He would cure him of his leprosy. God would move in this man's life and the game would change. What a heart that is. What an expectation she puts forward. This is what really blows my mind. This is a very bold claim for a servant girl. She tells Naaman's wife the deal. Naaman tells, Naaman's wife tells Naaman, and now Naaman is like, okay. And he decides to go on this journey. Now he has to gather gold. He has to get permission from the king. He's gathering, you know, people around him and entourage. This is going to cost him time. This is going to cost him money. Could you imagine if it doesn't work? 
Like, we don't think about that because we know the end of the story. But could you imagine she doesn't know the end of the story, so to speak. Like, she didn't have time to run and go tell Elisha, hey, dude, this very popular guy is coming. you got to do something for him. I'm trying to make it easier for myself. No, 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 no. She just steps out in faith and obedience and says, Lord, i got to leave the outcome to you. i got to leave the outcome to you. Like, if, if he goes and nothing happens, could you imagine? He would come back furious. And she'd probably get treated a lot harsher. You and your prophet, give me another. You know what I mean? I mean, think about that. She was putting everything on the line. But she chose obedience over outcome. I saw this great illustration. I think it will help us with this. If I, if I told you to carry around this chair all day, just carry it everywhere you go. Just carry the chair. Right? You might look ridiculous coming to church. Hey, guys, how you doing? Good morning. So good. I brought my own seat to church. But you could do it for a while. But after that, I'd be like, man, my shoulder's hurting. Let me try to switch positions. Let me try this shoulder. And you'd be good for a while. And, and then maybe you get real crazy and you're like, I'm going to like necklace. I'm just going to try to find the balance. I'm exhausted, right? Like, it would get so old after a while. And you wouldn't be able to bear that. But what if I told you? Hey, listen, I want you to take this paperclip with you everywhere you go. Just take it with you. I mean, the paperclip is, that's reasonable. It's functional, right? You can, you can put it on your little your pants, right? It could be an accessory or you can drop it like I did. Or you can use it to button your shirt or, you know, you can, ladies, you can put it in your hair. Come on, paperclip, they're coming back. But it's, it's reasonable. It's, it's, it's something that we could bear. And I think many times we're, we're trying to bear the burden of outcome. And God has never called us to bear that burden. God has never called us to walk around and, and hold the burden of outcome. Because last time I checked, God says some plants, some water, but he brings the increase. Amen. He makes it grow. But the burden or the blessing of obedience, we can. We, that's doable. We can carry the burden of obedience because God has called us to do that. We can walk around with that. And, and sometimes it's still a little bit scary, but it's, it's doable. Like we, we were out to eat this last week, and the Lord started speaking to my heart. You know when God starts speaking to your heart and you're eating? You're like, Lord, I know you're stirring something. And, and our waiter came over, and I felt like the Lord told me this. Ask him how much was his largest tip tonight, and then I want you to double it. And then I want you to put an Easter invite. So I was like, hey, bro, um, it's a little awkward. You mind if I ask you a personal question? No, nah, man, go ahead. What's up? What's the biggest tip you got tonight? And he's like, well, it's been a little bit slow. I think like about 20 bucks. I was like, 20? I was, hey, in my mind, I'm like, I was hoping for seven. Maybe 10, but 20, I'm like, a slow night. That's a, that sounds pretty decent to me. Because that means I got to double that thing. That's 40 bucks. Now, for you guys, some of you guys who are just, you know, balling out of control and rolling in the dough, like, that's okay. But for me, 40 bucks is painful. That's like, that's a tank of gas and a quest bar. And so 
But it's the paperclip. God was just saying, hey, listen, I don't know if the guy's going to be here on Easter. I don't know. But that's not my burden to carry. That's not my responsibility. My job is to be obedient and let the dice fall where they may. And so that, that's what this girl was. This little servant girl, she was a girl of, of the invite. She was the girl that said, come and see. You got to go and look. You got to go and meet. Just watch what God's going to do. You're going to do it. She would have been a girl that would tag her car for Easter week. She'd ride on her windshield, Easter at fountainchurch.cc. Come and see. That's what she would do. Crazy. Some of you guys are looking at me like, oh, that's so weird. That's a shameless plug. Absolutely it is. <laughs> we're trying to reach people. We're trying to, listen, we're trying to populate heaven. And this is a critical week. See, this girl is a girl that, that would, would grab some flyers and say, you, could, you just got to go and see. I, I ain't got time to, like, go all there, but you got to go and see. You got to go see, expecting that God is going to move. I think so many times when we're worried about outcome, it keeps us from being obedient because we're, what if God doesn't work? What if he doesn't move? What if, what if he doesn't show up? What if he does? God loves people more than we do. God has not called us to bear the results. God has called us to simply, simply be obedient. See, this girl would have been posting on social media like a mad woman. Easter's coming. You got to go. Come and see. Everything could change. Everything could change. Second thing is this. Second choice we need to make is we need to choose compassion over convenience. If we're going to be a people that empty ourselves, that others might be filled, we have to choose compassion over convenience. Can I just remind you that God has called us to be a church of Nancy's? Are you with me? God has called us to be that church. Not the little safe church. We just huddle in our little corner every week and, and we don't care about lost people. That's not who we are. That's why I'm, I'm every single week I'm, I'm wanting and I'm praying that God would impact you in such a way. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more your heart's going to break for people. And this valley is in desperate need. There's so many are wandering and need people that will choose compassion over convenience. Now let me set the stage for you. I, I was in Israel. Let me show you a picture of Peter's crib. This was it. This is what Peter's house looked like. This is actually not even the traditional spot. This is the actual place. Like Jesus preached in this spot. Doesn't look very impressive. Obviously it's minus the roof right now. And, you know, it's, it's underwent some uh, excavations um, as you would. But what's really interesting is you navigate through this ancient time. A lot of times when we picture the Holy Land, we, 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 think, of, um, we think of it as so large. But when, when the Bible would say something like, yeah, Jesus left the synagogue and went to Peter's house. Like literally the synagogue was by my car. And Peter's house was here. It wasn't like Jesus was making this long journey through. No, it was like, hey, Pete, I, I can throw a rock to your house. Catch, bro. Let's go heal your mom. Right? And it was at this place that Jesus was preaching the word of God super powerfully. So much so that crowds were just, the place was packed. There wasn't even room outside. And that's where the story picks up. And it says this in Mark chapter 2, that a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there, was no room, that there was no room left. God, let that be the story of the Fountain Church, that there is no room every single week. Not even outside the door. And he preached the word. 
Come on, how many of you guys know God's word does not need improvement? He preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. You guys know somebody who is paralyzed, they weigh, it's, just, it's, it's, it's like dead weight. And these guys didn't have modern technology. We see later that they're actually carrying him on a mat. Like, hey, bro, you take a corner, I'm going to take a corner. You take a corner and let's go. Compassion over convenience. And it goes on to say, it says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, digging through it, and then lowered the mat as the man was, as he was lying on it. When Jesus saw their faith, everybody say their faith. Can I just tell you that there are some people right now that they need your faith. That they're in a position where they've lost hope, they've lost sight, they've been, they're, they're, they're debilitated, whether uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically, that they, they've lost faith in God. And they need some people to come around them to say, we're going to take you. Let me make this very clear. Your faith cannot save anybody, but it can position somebody. Your faith can't save people, but it can position them to encounter Jesus and be touched by God. And so imagine the pain, the time, the effort, the energy. Imagine the climbing, the crowding, the carrying, the digging, the lowering. Come on, these guys were pouring it out. I mean, many of us, it's, it's hard enough just to carry somebody. It's like, all right, well, let's go. Man, I'm exhausted. Man, why you got to weigh so much? It's such a burden to me. That's how we treat people sometimes, don't we? It's like, come on. Come on. Oh, look at the crowd. Man, sorry, bro. We got to get this on another day. It's packed. We can't get in. Oh, man, they're like. We got to get a strategy. Come on, you know that you're putting everything on the line when you're trying to create a strategy to get people to Jesus. Like you're trying to figure it out, man. This isn't working, but we're not going to quit. Like this has got to happen. What if we did something crazy? Like what if we climbed on the roof? Like what are you talking about, man? It's a waste of time. Like what if we what if we climbed on the roof? We dug a hole and we lowered him in. That sounds ridiculous. And that's exactly what they did. You see, the, the, the love for their friend and their faith and expectation in God. Again, this expectation, this faith in God that if they can just position him before Jesus, God is going to do something. God is going to do something. And so whatever it took, these guys are working. These guys are wrestling. These guys are trying to figure it out. Let's get a plan. Let's get this guy before Jesus. And so they dig a hole in Peter's roof. Now, you guys know if this thing goes south, they're in trouble. Like Peter's going to be like, bro, what are you doing to my house? Man, we try. We're trying to get him healed. I mean, they would have been laughing stocks. But what if he does something? I could imagine as they lowered him down, sweat, carrying, climbing, the crowding, the digging, the lowering. The lowering had to be the worst part. And then the waiting, just 
poured everything out, sweat dropping on the ground, looking at Jesus like, I know you're going to do something. I know you're going to do something. And he did. He said, seeing their faith, like, I was like, man, what did you do? Come on. This man's sins were forgiven. His soul was restored. Then he healed his body. Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are you with me on that? <laughs> but we got to choose compassion over convenience. We can't be a church that's all about convenience. I know we want to make it a great experience for people, for people who aren't here yet. But man, listen, these were the guys that were bringers. The girl was an invite inviter. These girls, these guys were bringers. They're like, man, we're going to bring whatever we got to do. We're picking you up. We're going to come to your house and pick you up. I'm going to meet you at Starbucks. I'm going to give you a ride. I'm going to fly you to Fountain Church on Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday. It's something crazy. These guys were bringers. These guys were willing to put everything on the line. These guys were people that served. These guys were dream team. These guys were saying, man, we're going to work. We're going to pour our life, blood, sweat, tears, whatever it takes to position people before Jesus. Can I just tell you, listen, that if you're here in our church, listen, and you only come on Sundays, bless your heart. But Sundays are a whole lot better when they're not all about us. They're not all, and we're glad that you're here. But we're hoping that you would catch this heart. That we'd be a church distracted by lost people. This is what time you need me to show up, 6 a.m.? I got you. You need me to set up a tent? Got you. You need me to, to love and disciple kids and babies? I got you. Let's do, let's do this. And this is not just hype. This is real, real life. Our dream teamers are pouring out their life. Just, man, grab one side. Let's go. And I can just tell you it's compassion because a lot of times it's not convenient. But there were four of them. I mean, one of those guys could not do it by themselves. We're so much better together, man. It's, you know, if all of our church showed up at one time, we'd be 600 plus people. Because people just don't come every week. But imagine what we could do together if we just said, man, we are just going to storm this world with the good news of Jesus. And do whatever we can to bring people to him, whatever we can to position people to, to encounter and encounter Jesus and get a touch from God. Could you just imagine for a moment, we're so much better together. We can carry so much more. We can distribute the weight. So these guys would have been like, yep, sign me up on the dream team. These guys would have been like, yep, I'm bringing people. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to go out of my way to do whatever I can to position people before the master with great expectation that God would do something. I think a lot of times the reason why we don't is because of our expectation. Like there's something in us that really doesn't believe that God might do something. And it's like, man, I would encourage you, Fountain Church, today, man, put your hope in God. Man, listen, listen, God rewards those who diligently seek, seek him. Faith, it pleases God. Expect great things from God. Don't settle for average when amazing is available. Don't do that. So, fast forward, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a critical hour. He's getting ready to suffer on a cross. 
He's getting ready to be taken captive. And it's the moment of decision in the garden. He's wrestling. Oh, God, Father. It's a moment of decision. And he asks his disciples, hey, guys, can you pray with me? Just for an hour. Can you just tarry with me for an hour? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he looks back and they're asleep. Because they lost sight of the critical hour. They didn't understand how critical this moment was. Can I just tell you, listen, I'm not just preaching this because we want to pack a house on Easter. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm compelling you and I'm trying to urge you because 8 out of 10 people would come to church. This is the week. This is the critical hour that people would actually come, 8 out of 10 statistics shows, if they just had an invite. Just an invite. So we can't be asleep. It's a moment of decision. I'm telling you, there's nothing better when you look over and you see God working and moving in the life of somebody else. It's like, man, it's all worth it. Compassion over convenience. We can't go to sleep in this critical hour. We have to decide. You know, I had a horrible day on Friday. <laughs> so I got home. And uh, you guys have a long week. Everybody, anybody just ever have a long week? Like, what does that even mean? What we're really saying, man, it was horrible. It's a rough week, right? And Friday, um, I got home, and my, my youngest, Hannah, she's been having some stomach pain. She has a flu. She had a fever. Not a flu, but she just she had a fever. And, but her stomach, she would just all of a sudden just, ah, just go into, like, pain. And then she'd be okay. And so after a couple of days, and when I got home, Jackie's like, man, we need to take her to the hospital because something is wrong. And she's just, she's laying on Jackie, and I'm like, and then Jackie makes me do all that stuff, right? So I got to go to the hospital. No, bless her heart. We just, we know, our, we, we know our lanes, right? Like we know our lanes. Like I take Hannah to get shots and I'm just, uh, that, that's my lane as a daddy. And so, so we get to the hospital. And the last time that Hannah went to the doctor, she got shot. So she hates the doctors. If you're a doctor in here, she loves you, but she hates you. And so we get into triage. I explain what was going on and... And they go to take her blood pressure, and she's like, no! And I'm like, you know, that, that embarrassed dad, like, oh, sorry, it's going to be rough. And then it, it, was, it was like, this was supernatural. It was for me at least. As I looked down at her and I said, baby girl, we got to do this. Can we try this again? And she looked in my eyes, and it was like a moment of decision. She said, yes, dad. Yes, dad. So they, she pulled out her arm and she took her blood pressure. And then they had to take her temperature through, you know. And she's looking at me like, you didn't ask me for this, right? Like, you didn't ask me about this one. But something happened in her. She, she made a decision. So we get back. We get back to the room. Long story short, they think she has appendicitis and we might have to have surgery. I'm like, dude, does this happen at two years old? Is this... And so the lady said, we can't give her any Tylenol or any pain medication orally. Like, we got to put in an IV. And I was like, no. Like, she's going to really hate you guys now. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I, I just, my heart, I have a spot on my chin. It's not lipstick. It's a spot on my chin because I was holding my chin so tight when she was getting the shot. And like, I, like, gave myself, like, a little hickey on my chin, right? <laughs> and so I'm laying on the bed with her, and I look at her and said, baby girl. Because we don't lie to our kids. I said, they're going to give you a shot. And it's going to sting a little bit. And she looked in my eyes. She said, okay, dad. And she, and she gave him her arm. And the lady stuck it in. And they couldn't find the vein. 
something like, I, I, I looked at her, and, and I know her name, I'm not going to say it today, but I looked at her, I'm like, come on, girl, you were born for this. You were destined for this moment. Find that vein. We're running out of time. Find it. She's like, I can't find it. And Hannah's just like, and she, Hannah's not even screaming. She's just like, oh, dad, dad. And so th then the nurse is blown away, like, I can't believe she's not holding still. I'm like, well, do it. Like, she's still for a reason. Go. And so finally she said, I can't do it. She take, takes it out. And I'm like, oh, dad. And so she's like, I'm going to have to poke her again. And I look, and I'm like. And I didn't realize this in the time, but I looked at her and I said, is there any other way? Like, come on, can she just drink it one more time? Is there any other way? And she looks, she says, no, I'm sorry, there's no other way. And then she took her little hand, let me show you a picture of her, and she poked it. And she got it on the first trial this time. Thank you, Jesus, right? And, and Hannah and I are laying there, and I just had this overwhelming sense. And I, I didn't piece this, piece this together. This wasn't like an intricate part of my message. I had this sense. It was like, Father. Father. Like they're piercing my daughter that she might be well. But they pierced your son that we might be well. I just don't get that. And I thought, Jesus in the garden, let me just show you a picture. Just imagine for a moment, Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way? But no, son. There's no other way. It's a moment of decision. Not my will, but your will be done. Can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that if we're going to reach the world, the local church is still God's plan A. There is no other way. There, God, God can appear to people in dreams, and he does. God can do supernatural things, and he does. But God has called you and I as the instruments of his hands and his feet to reach people, to go and to make disciples. There's no other way. And so I'm wondering today if we can decide as a church, I know it's Easter's coming up, but can we just decide as a church? Like, I don't, I don't want to be, I never want to be a church that's sustainable and stagnant. That's not the church. But I want to be a church that's constantly straining and going after, risking, lowering people in the roofs, whatever we got to do. But I can't do that. I mean, let's keep it real. God has not called me to do that, but to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Can we decide today that we're going to be a church that chooses obedience over outcome? Can we be a church that's going to choose compassion over convenient? That we would decide and not be asleep in a critical hour where heaven and hell is in the balance. It's reality. Whether we like to agree, uh, believe that or not, it's real. And God has called you and I in light of his mercy to decide to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. He said, whatever it takes, whenever, however, I'm yours.